Do you remember a time when you felt exasperated? Perhaps you felt trapped with no way out. And uh, have you had a time when you really didn't know what to do? I've had a number of those times in my life where I got to the point where maybe you would describe it as being numb. Numb. We're coming up on 12 years since the day that I received a phone call that my brother had taken his life. That was a a tough time to know what to pray. I I remember a number of years even before that where I was uh, in a situation where things went terribly south. Um, Things that um, I can't even discuss with you. Things that went terribly poorly and it's very difficult to know in those situations what to say. Those times of difficulty reveal our human frailty, our weakness, our inability. Sometimes these difficulties cause us to recognize I just don't know how things will ultimately work out. God's people have endured these types of struggles for generations. Listen to this accounting. First from David in Psalm 6 and verse 3. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? And again in Psalm 13, he says the same thing. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So this is many years ago. And of course, we can even look into the future, the record of the book of Revelation. And you can see a scene in heaven of those that have already entered into the glorious presence of the Lord, still asking questions like, Lord, how long? Like Revelation 6.10 records, it says, They cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before You judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? There are these questions. We don't always know how everything's going to work out. We don't always know exactly what to say in any given situation. But that's not a bad place to be, brothers and sisters in Christ. Our weakness reveals the strength and ability of the Lord. And that's what we'll see in our text this morning. We have to ask this question. It's a right question to ask. Does God care for us in our distress? Does God care for us in our distress? Well, this is answered time and time again through Scripture, but I'll just re- refer you to the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. As part of our humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he tells us to be casting all our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. He cares for you. You, cast all your anxieties on the Lord for He cares for you. This, this question is answered. Our distress matters to God. He cares. What if I don't know what to say? What if I don't know what to say when I'm in the midst of this deep distress? God's promises still stand even if you don't know what to say. His promises remain true. He will never leave you and He'll never forsake you. Even in our confused, weakened condition. 
He knows our sorrows, and He cares. Take a look, please, at Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. This is our text for this morning. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You know, we're trying to see this in its context. We've been seeing the suffering that comes into the lives of those who are God's children. That was introduced to us in verse 17 of this text that will be glorified glorious we have an inheritance coming yes this is great but those who experience that glory are those who share in the sufferings in verse 18 he tells us that these sufferings are working something they're they're producing something there is a a a commensurate exceeding glory that comes with the difficult distress we face paul tells us in verses 19 through 22, that the creation is groaning as it awaits restoration. The creation is groaning as it awaits restoration. In verses 23 through 25, believers are groaning as we await glorification. There's groaning in this life as we await glorification. In verses 26 and 27, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit groans as He awaits our final redemption. He groans. This is incredible. This is an indication that God cares for the distress that we face. It's not ho-hum. I know the end from the beginning and that's the end of the story. I know how the story works out so your simple little teeny distress doesn't really matter that much. Aren't you glad that God cares? You can see it in God's communication with His Old Testament people. You can see it in Jesus' care for His disciples. And we can see it in the Spirit of God's care for the children of God all through the New Testament. God demonstrates an amazing sympathy for our struggles. This is consistent with God's character as demonstrated in Scripture and by our experience. Take a look at a couple of verses with me. Acts chapter 7, please, to start with. Acts chapter 7. God cares for us in our struggles. He is not without empathy. He's not without compassion. In Acts chapter 7, we see a record of God through Stephen of God's care for His people of Israel while they were in distress in the land of Egypt. You remember they were there after God uh, sent them there through a famine under the handiwork of Joseph. The people of Israel were living in the land of Goshen in a plush land. And during that time, their population grew and grew and grew. The king of Egypt died. Another one arose. The Pharaoh, another one arose. He didn't know Joseph. And he saw the people of Israel as a threat. And so they 
started to extract uh, indentured servitude. The people were in bondage, and this brought about distress, and they cried out to the Lord. That's what we see now in Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 30. Listen to the words of God from Stephen. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. And Moses saw it. Excuse me, when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now God is still speaking here in verse 34. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning. I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. I have heard, I've seen, I understand the groanings. I have come to rescue. I have come to deliver. And as a means of that deliverance, you are going to Egypt, Moses. This is just a, a sweet expression of God caring for the distress of His people. And it's not a solitary accounting. It's again and again through Scripture. I want you to see here from the Lord Jesus in Hebrews chapter 4, another illustration of this. The high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus is introduced just, he just touches on it at the beginning of chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews. And then he culminates that section at the end of chapter 4. And then he introduces the, his discussion on priesthood all over again in, in chapter 5. He, he's letting us know something about Jesus' mediatory work, His going to the Father on our behalf, and the rest that we can have. I know you're like me in some ways. Not in every way, because I'm super weird. But I know you're like me in, in some ways, that, that sometimes your mind is, is striving and you want to do these things, and, and there's no quietness in your soul, just push, push, push. Need, need, need. Next thing, next thing, next thing. But one of the things that we can see about our God is He does give His people rest. And that rest comes in the person of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it comes through His mediatorial work, His mediating work. He cares for us. And as he caps one section of his discussion on Jesus' high priestly work, look at what he says beginning in verse 14 of chapter 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Stop right there. Since we have this one, he's already ascended. He's been through it. He's ascended. Let us hold fast our confession. Why? For we, in verse 15, do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That word there means to feel with. 
to feel with. It, the, the idea is to empathize, to sympathize, because he knows what it's like. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, what does it say now? Yet without sin. And those weaknesses of humanity, now we're not talking about sinfulness now because the Lord Jesus didn't sin, but the weaknesses of humanity is that when temptation comes, we are worn down by it. And He endured that temptation and endured that temptation and never catered to it so the temptation could, could continue to get more intense. He went far beyond the temptation that we endure because He never catered. And He sympathizes with you. And He sympathizes with me in my weakness. Verse 16, let us then, as a result of this, with confidence, that means freedom of speech, boldness of speech, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. When? When? In the time of need. In the time of distress. In the time of sorrow, anxiety, depression. When it's all seeming to crash down on me and I don't know what else to do. He feels with me in that time. And I can go to him in that time. I might not know what to say. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. God cares. Listen to these words of the Lord. Our God, our Father, the God of Israel, in dealing with the people of Israel in Hosea 11.8. Listen to these words of tenderness. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma, like a wilderness? How can I treat you like Zeboim, like the Gentiles? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Pause for a second. This is your God. He's talking to the people of Israel, but this is your God. This is how he deals with people that are frail and weak like me and like you. He cares. He has compassion. And as we see this repeatedly in the Scriptures, how much compassion should that give me for you? How much compassion should that give you for your neighbor? How much compassion should we have for one another as we see the God of all glory who is perfect and pure and holy and righteous and just and true being compassionate with those who are anything but righteous and holy and true and just. If He can be compassionate, I must be. You must be. Let's look at a couple of verses of Scripture. This is just setting the backdrop for us to study these two verses in Romans chapter 8. Take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We must show compassion for one another. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica says in verse 14, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, 
Be patient with them all. Five times? Ten times? Seventy times? Seventy times seven times? How often? Unendingly. This is the call upon the believer, is to care for one another, to have compassion on one another, to be patient with one another, to uplift one another unendingly. As our Father in heaven unendingly displays compassion toward us. Take a look a little further, please, at Hebrews chapter 10. As you're headed to Hebrews chapter 10, I will remind you of a couple of passages of Scripture that, are, that ring in our ears, I, I trust. The Bible says in Romans 12, 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. What does the next part say? Weep with those who weep. In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 26, if one member of the body suffers, what does it next say? All suffer yeah, together. Together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You know, brothers and sisters, I, I, I make intimations uh, of this regularly, uh, and I, it's because I believe it, so you know, what I believe doesn't make it so. Um, if, if it's recorded clearly in Scripture, it's so. But my belief doesn't make something so. But I, I believe we are on the brink of some interesting times in our, our world. There is a, a regular detesting of God and His Word and His standards that righteousness exalts a nation, Right? What's the next part of the verse say? Sin is a reproach to any people. And our, our land as a whole uh, lies in that, that latter category. And so, suffering could be a thing of reality in our lifetime in this land. We need to learn to suffer with one another. To suffer together. Because while it's not the expression misery loves company that we're talking about, it is way better to suffer in harmony with others than to suffer alone. So God has given us the privilege of being in community together. We are His body, the church. And if we suffer, we can suffer together. We can do it shoulder to shoulder, face to face, together. And the Lord gives us that privilege, which is why it's so important, brothers and sisters, to really, not just casually be a part of a church, to really engage in a church, to where you are united together, so that when those difficulties come, you are not suffering alone, but suffering together. This is why one of the purposes that God has called out a people for himself into a local body that we might navigate difficulties together. All right, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 34. God's word says, speaking about this group of first century Hebrew Christians that were experiencing persecution, he's reminding them of their first time they were persecuted in, in, a, in a way to encourage them for this next wave that they were experiencing of persecution. Verse 34, For you had compassion on those in prison 
and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And so he's reminding them of the last time that they suffered, how they were willing to give it all up because they recognize that this life isn't what it's about. The, the, there's an enduring glory that is coming. And so he encouraged them to be willing to suffer now like they suffered then. But what was the context or the concept that he brings up? You had compassion on those that were in difficulty. This is what marks Christian living in the Christian community. Head back to Romans chapter 8 now. Romans chapter 8, please. God is compassionate. He's compassionate with us. We ought to, we must have compassion on one another. As we look at Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, this, this is very encouraging to us as we recognize in our weaknesses that God doesn't leave us alone. In verse 26, again, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The first item that we want to notice in this passage is this. We are limited in this life. We are limited in this life. He says in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our, what's the word? Weaknesses. The word in the Greek is asthenia. It has the idea of human limitations or frailty. Hold your hand here and just take a a, a left two chapters. Look at chapter 6 of the same book and verse 19. Paul says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. That's the same word, natural limitations. Your frailties, your humanness. I'm writing to you in a human way because you're a human. That's what he just said in Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, uh, verse 19, excuse me. Back in chapter 8 and verse 26, he says, The Spirit helps us in our frailties, humanness, our human limitations. That's the idea. We are limited in this life. We could go on and on all day, not just today, but tomorrow, the next day, and the day after that, talking about our weaknesses. There are so many of them, they're innumerable. That's how weak we are. This text reveals to us that God knows our weaknesses And this text reminds us that we should know that we are weak. Secondly, in this text, we want to notice this. We are lacking knowledge. We are lacking knowledge. Back in chapter 8 and verse 26. Chapter 8 and verse 26. We are lacking knowledge. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what what to pray for as we ought. The word there, as we ought, is the Greek term day. Simply translated, it is necessary. We do not know how to pray for as it is necessary to pray, is essentially what he just said. Well, how difficult is it to pray? It's not hard at all, my friends. And we can't even do that right. God is making a point to us. We are needy. We are weak. We can't even pray as we ought to, without Him. This makes us 
humble. And this produces within us dependency. This is a good thing. I need to depend upon Him. He's worthy of that dependence. We are weak. Our weaknesses in this verse are emphasized in that we do not know what to pray for in the way that it's necessary to pray. Why is it? Well, you know, you and I know the end of the matter, right? You've read your Bible enough to know what's coming. Doesn't it make you smile? One day, I'll see Him face to face. And when I see Him, not only will I be known, but I'll know Him as I've been known by Him. When I see Him, I will be like Him. For I will see Him as He is. This vile body will be made like unto His glorious body. Everything changes at the end. All the suffering of this life yield innumerably more glorious things. We know the end. Paul knew the end. And he says the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. He's not saying you people are so ignorant I can't even share with you the, the, the meat of the Word because you're carnal. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's not Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is I'm weak, you're weak, we're all weak. None of us know. None of us are exempt from this. All of us have this weakness, but at the end of it, all of us have the help. So we'll get to that in a second. We don't know what's at the end. We do know what's at the end. We just don't know what it's like from the suffering point A to glory point B. And so Paul is communicating with us on a on a divine level, of course, because he's inspired by the Spirit, but he's, he's speaking to us in our, about our humanness. That we don't know what's going to happen. How are we going to get from point A to point B? What's going to happen in that, that, that time in between? We see that even in his own life. Take a look at Philippians chapter 1. We love this passage. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 19. Listen to the Word of God as penned from Paul to the church of Philippi, verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this situation that I'm dealing with, being imprisoned, will turn out for my deliverance, and your prayers will be part of that solution. As it is my earnest or, or eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy and faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So he, he says, I know, but I'm not sure, but I know what I would want to do, but I, but I know what God, think, what God wants to do, and I think as a result of that I'll be with you. 
Can you tell he doesn't really know? He kind of knows, but he doesn't know. You ever feel like that? <laughs> Lord, what, what are we going to do here? I don't know. I don't know. While that doesn't seem so encouraging, what is encouraging is he knows. And bottom line, that's all that matters. He knows. And because he knows, I can be comforted even in my weakened, confused condition. Head back, please, with me to Romans chapter 8. We are weak and lacking knowledge, but God the Spirit dwelling in us comes to our rescue. Comes to our rescue. Next week, we'll look at what we do know and how God is using all these things for good and how all of those that have been called have been justified and all of those that have been justified have been glorified. We know these things, but what we don't know is some of the elements in between. While we are weak and lacking in knowledge, the Spirit of God is dwelling in us and He comes to rescue us. And so in the third item of our discussion this morning, the Holy Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit helps us. Look again at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Help. The only other time this particular Greek term is used is in Luke chapter 10 and verse 40. You will recognize it as I try to paint the picture briefly. You have Martha. Don't need to say anything else? I think you already have the rest of the picture. You've got Martha working in the kitchen. And you've got Mary out at the feet of Jesus. And Martha goes out, I'm sure she was very happy and very pleasant, and says, Lord, tell her to help me. Why did Martha ask the Lord to tell Mary to help? Because she was serving alone. And it was too much for her. She, it was too much of a burden for her. So she was beckoning for help. Mary had left Martha to serve alone. God will never do this to us. He will never leave us alone. He will never allow us to be overburdened unless we say no thank you to the help that He offers to us. Whatever we are facing, we are facing with Him. Jesus said it with the yoke illustration, remember? If you're facing something Yoked to Jesus. How hard is that endeavor going to be? Is he almighty or is he just kind of mighty? He's almighty. So when the the Bible says to us, I know that you're weak and I know you don't know, but it's framed with the fact that the Spirit is there to help us. He doesn't come alongside the concept of paraclete. That's nice too. Where is he? He's in us. It's, it's, he can lift us in the midst of our distress. He comes to help us. Back in uh, chapter 8 and verse 26, the fourth item that we wanted to note from this text is the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. 
For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit... What does the next word say? Who's praying right now? There should be no more confusion, right? This is not now talking about tongues. This is not now saying that the Spirit's praying through us. That doesn't mean that we don't pray in the Holy Spirit like it says in Jude. And it's not as though the testimony of the Spirit doesn't come through us that God is our Father like it says in chapter 8 uh, just a few verses earlier and in Galatians chapter 4 that, that the Spirit cries out through us, Abba, Father. But that's not what this passage is talking about. This passage is saying the Spirit Himself intercedes. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Well, what does this intercession of the Spirit sound like? Groanings. What does that sound like? I have no idea. could mean sighing. But one thing is for sure. It's alaletas. A is an alpha primitive. Here's a little Greek lesson for you. A is an alpha primitive. That means it negates anything that's coming. Kind of like, well, that's really cool, and that's really uncool. You get the un turns it around, right? There's moral. This person's very moral. They, they do the right thing. This person is amoral. They're without morals. They don't do what's moral. Alpha primitive. A la letas. La letas uh, has the idea of la leo. It's to speak. So he is interceding. He himself is interceding with groanings. A without la leo words. What does it sound like? Like, it sounds like this. Ready? Listen carefully. This is what the groaning of the Spirit sounds like. Ready? Listen. Everything but the laughs. Nothing. It's inaudible. Why? Because it's not happening out there. It's happening in there. You see, I'm stealing my own thunder, but forgive me for stealing my own thunder. Later on in this text, it's going to talk about Jesus interceding for us. Where does that take place? In heaven. Here, the Spirit is interceding for us. Where is that taking place? Right here. Right, in, right inside. The Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings too deep for words. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. It's okay, little child. It's okay, little one. It's okay, my beloved. It's okay. You don't know. But He does. And that's what comes next. In verse 27, God knows. God knows. Look at verse 27. And He who searches hearts... Stop right there. Who's that talking about? That's talking about the Father. You get Jeremiah 17.10 that talks about that He knows the heart of man. You, you, you just read through Psalm 139. Before a word comes under my tongue, He knows it all together. He who searches hearts. It's talking about the Father. He knows. He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit. Or what is the mindset of the Spirit. Oh, I wonder why... Why does God, the Father, know the mindset of the Spirit? Because He's God. And God is how many? 
one. And shockingly, no, I'm not going to use sarcasm. Unsurprisingly, when the Spirit brings a request to the Father, the answer is always yes. Why? Because God is one. He prays according to the will of God because He is God. It makes sense. It makes sense that God always answers the prayers of the Spirit with a yes because He's God. And it makes sense that He prays in accordance with God's will because He's God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal. They are God. They dwell together in perfect union. There is one essence of God. And God answers His prayer. You know, I mentioned briefly already that Jesus is interceding in heaven. And the Spirit is interceding here on earth in our hearts. It helps us to understand that this is a spiritual battle that we're facing. It's a spiritual battle that's taking place on earth and in heaven. It's a real battle. But we don't do it alone. I am weak, but He is strong. The very God of the universe is engaged in this battle with us and for us. You feel weak, you feel frustrated, you feel confused, you feel that you don't know. God knows. He knows. And He cares. And He intervenes. And He intercedes. His will will not be overturned. We are weak, but our weaknesses are overcome by God's mighty power in accordance with God's will by the powerful working of God Himself, God the Spirit. Never fear. Never fear, no matter what the battle may be. God is with you. God is for you. This whole section in Romans chapter 8 is good news. It's good news for those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Listen to how John Stott summarizes the Spirit's ministry in chapter 8. I was going to put this at the beginning of our time together, but I decided to put it at the end. Listen to these words. They're very helpful. In this life of expectancy, Paul now brings us another encouragement. It again concerns the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This ministry he has uh, so far portrayed in relation first to the law which he enables us to fulfill. Secondly, to our fallen nature which he subdues. Thirdly, to our adoption into God's family of which He assures us. And fourthly, to our final inheritance of which He is the guarantee and foretaste. Now fifthly, He writes of the Holy Spirit in relation to our prayers. Indeed, true Christian prayer is impossible without the Holy Spirit. 
But I must say, just to conclude our time, but with the Holy Spirit, because of the Holy Spirit and the mediating work of the Lord Jesus, our prayers are heard. Glory be to God. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's room for a look at the Savior that's abundant and that's free. What a glorious God we have. He is worthy to be trusted no matter what you face. You weary? He's there. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have given to us assurance that we do not navigate through this life alone, but you've given us your Spirit who intercedes on our behalf with groanings that are inexpressible. We don't know what he has said, but we know this, you hear him and you answer and we have what we need. You are abundantly kind. I pray, Father, for each one of us, believers particularly, that we would receive the comfort that comes with this text. And I pray, Father, for any unbeliever that might be with us, watching, listening, that you might help them to long for that confidence that we have that comes only through knowing Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Bring them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.